Can you say amen again? It's time for the reading of the word of the Lord. Are you all ready? Open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 19 through 24. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 24. We're continuing a series that we started at the beginning of February, walking through Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. We've entitled this series, Joy and Pain. The reason for that is Paul writes this letter from a Roman prison. And it is a letter in which he writes clearly about the pain that he has suffered for the advancement of the gospel, and yet this is his most joyful letter. Something to be learned about that. We also named it because I love naming things after song lyrics. And joy! And pain, keep it going, keep it going. Now, sunshine, hey, and rain, sing it now, God's children. All right, all right, all right. Just want to make sure I'm in the right church. Joy and pain. Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read in verse 19. It goes like this I, that's Paul, hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. The title of today's message is When It's Your Time when it's your time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for these hearts. Would you connect the two? Give us a new revelation of you for us. Amen. Now, we have a lot of babies in the room, so it's going to be loud. Just pretend that if a baby's crying, they're shouting at the preacher because they like that part. Amen. We pick up in the middle of this letter from Paul to the church that he planted in Philippi, and what he's doing in this moment here today is telling them about one of his spiritual sons, and he's saying to them, after he just finished sort of outlining some of the characteristics of a submitted life, if you remember last week, Pastor Rob shared with us a message called Flashing Lights. He talked about the beauty that you can be in shining the light of Jesus through you to the world. He also gave you some clear instructions on how to hold fast to the gospel. And then the part that I'm really jealous you got to preach, but I didn't, is not to grumble. Come on, somebody. <laughs> We had planned out our schedule for the spring to preach and our vacation happened to fall on that Sunday. And I just really wanted to be the preacher to yell at you and tell you not to grumble, but it happened a different way. And Paul has sort of laid out some of the characteristics of a good submitted Christian life. Then he turns to the church, a transition in the letter, and he says, and I, I hope to see you, but since I can't come right now, I'm gonna send somebody who looks just like what I talked about in the, in the words before that. The big idea for today's message, the takeaway for you would be this. Many people want to lead. Many people want to be used to great advantage, to find their purpose, their calling, and their success. But God promotes the trusted, not the gifted. He promotes the 
trusted. So let's do this. Let's look at this section of text real quick, and let's just break out who this young man is that Paul's talking about. His name is Timothy. Timothy, the young leader. Timothy is born to a Jewish mother and a Greek father. Because of that, while he has the Jewish tradition and he knows the scriptures well, he has not gone through, gone through many of the Jewish rites of passage, including circumcision. He knows the scriptures, but he hasn't done many of the sacraments. And he grows up in this town called Lystra. It's in, it's in a region that Paul actually visit, visited on his second missional journey. In Acts chapter 14, we see a list of cities that Paul visited for respite or relief as he was evangelizing the, 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 the Near East in, in the first century. And it stands to reason, though the text does not explicitly tell us that it was at that time that not only was his mother Eunice, Timothy's, Timothy's mother Eunice, converted to the faith, but that Paul himself met the young boy named Timothy. The beautiful thing is, is that later in Acts chapter 16, we find just two chapters later that Paul calls Timothy into the ministry. What's good here is that... Um, even though the text in Acts from 14 and 16 is just two short chapters, it is a long period of time between those two journeys. And I want you to understand that Paul calls Timothy to ministry, but he does not call him right away. It's important to understand the longitudinal aspect of Timothy's journey from new convert, young, immature believer to someone used by God. It's also important to understand that whenever we read about Timothy in the New Testament, and he's mentioned 24 times, we always find several beautiful, wonderful, Christ-like characteristics associated with him. He's always mentioned as being humbled. He's always mentioned as being studied, knowing what he believes in. He's always mentioned as faithful, but probably most importantly, he's always mentioned as being submitted. Most importantly, he's always mentioned as being submitted. Would that I could just finish the message right here and tie it up in a bow for you and say, it's good to be gifted, good to be studied, good to be present and have good attendance. But if you are not submitted to God's will in your life, not submitted to those that God puts in your life to lead you, guide you, love you, and advocate for you, you will be living as an attentive, as a studied, as a gifted rebel in God's eyes. And you do not want to be seen as a rebel in God's eyes. Can I tell you this from personal experience? Submission is the single greatest thing that you can strive after, to be submitted to the Lord. Amen? I'll tell you as someone who doesn't consider himself very studied or gifted or any of those other things, <laughs> God still uses you if you're submitted. If you just simply say these words, I am available, come what may. The beautiful thing about this is that because Timothy, because Timothy is submitted, he goes on to accomplish great things. It is him who carries the namesake for two of the pastoral epistles that Paul writes, first and second Timothy, instructions that we in the modern day church use on how to structure who we are and how we govern ourselves. And he also becomes the first bishop, what we would call a pastor in the church in Ephesus, the first epistle we started. Yeah. 
This young boy becomes one of the single most important figures in the New Testament, and he becomes the pastor of one of the most powerful first-generation churches. Why? Because he's a good preacher? Nope. Why? Because he's a sweetheart? Maybe. Why? Mostly because he just says, yes, Lord. Whatever you want. Challenge for most of us is saying, yes, Lord. You get around to it, don't you? You get around to saying, yes, Lord. But most of us start our conversations with God regarding instructions for us with phrases like, oh, one minute. The Lord's like, I need you to cut that out of your life. And you're like, you know, I'm really going to have to pray about that. He's like, you're praying right now. Or he convicts you about a certain area that needs refinement, needs attention. And you just ignore it for a minute. That's a sign, ready, of spiritual immaturity. Now, I'm not here to guilt you, make you feel bad about it. Everyone in this room, everyone sitting next to you, including your pastor, has an area of spiritual immaturity where the Lord says something and we go, harumph, not right now. But maturity is growing to the place to go, ah, yes, Lord. Whatever you want, Lord. And as Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he writes to this church that he loves so much from prison. And he says, I can't wait to come to you. But I can't. So I, I plan to send you someone who, boy, I think God's really going to use to bless you. And he explains to us who this young man is. And the reason we're going to study this in great detail today is because it is a beautiful model of developing spiritual maturity, developing spiritual authority, becoming who God's called you to be in the spirit world. Amen? You say, Pastor, I'm not here to be a spiritual leader. Yes, you are. Yeah, pastor, I'm not here to be a preacher. Nah, maybe not this vocation, but you are called to herald the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that makes you a preacher in some realm. You are called to evangelize and to witness to those whom you love. You are called to pray for the sick and walk in righteousness and let your life be a living sacrifice. And how could you do that lest you had a growing sense of who he was and a growing maturity in yourself because of a deepening relationship together with Jesus Christ? So Paul says, if I'm going to send anybody in my place, it's going to be a man that looks like this. It's Timothy's time. Verse 20, he says, first things first, I'm going to send somebody who is genuinely concerned for you. Let me read it for you one more time. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Here it is. You ready? This is a world that we live in that is mostly marked by the things we see in the natural. Amen? But you don't live in only a natural world. Amen? You live in a spiritual world. All around you are spiritual beings because you also are spiritual beings. You happen to be wrapped in flesh, but inside each one of you is a spirit that will one day have a destination. And the spirit world requires spiritual beings to do spiritual work. Now, I'm not knocking your work, whatever your work may be. It may be amazing. But what you do in the natural is far less important than what you do in the spiritual. And so when Paul writes to the church 
in Philippi. He says, I got somebody who's going to come to do the spiritual work that you as a church need. And the most important about him, important thing about him is that he's genuinely concerned about you. Ready? Care and concern for others is the hallmark of spiritual work. How do you know if someone is doing the Lord's work? They are careful with you and they are tender with you. Simple, ready? They just love you. You ever meet somebody that every time you're around them, you're like, oh, I just feel good. Is there somebody in this church who gives you one of those rock and roll hugs that after you leave it, you're like, oh, I'm going to heaven. This is so nice. <laughs> that, 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 that is indications, that is evidence that that person is submitted to the will of the Lord and is walking that will out in serving you. Care and concern is the hallmark of spiritual work. Let me flip it for you. You ever meet somebody who says they're a Christian, even those who are in places of spiritual authority, who seem like they don't care about nobody? (laughs) Thank you. I love you. We've all met somebody like that. Who, Who says that they're a leader, but like, you know, you just, you don't feel like Jesus is them or in them or like they even know him. Let me put a finer point on this, okay? Um, When we talk about spiritual leadership, spiritual authority, the mission that you're called to, to walk unbelievers closer to the throne of grace that they might one day be written in the Lamb's book of life, what we're really talking about is shepherding. In the world, we define leadership very differently from the way in which we define leadership in the church. But in the kingdom, leadership is about tender care and mercy. We finished baby dedication, and I love baby dedication. I'm like bonkers for this Sunday. This is my favorite. I think it is my favorite Sunday. And during the third song, I leaned over to my wife, Chanel, and I said, you know how I know I'm a a shepherd and not a preacher? It's because I love this more than speaking to the biggest rooms in the world. I mean, this is what matters most. God's blessed me with the opportunity to speak in front of large crowds. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's for some people. There are really gifted communicators for whom that is their area. That's their arena. (laughs) It is not mine. I finish in a big room and I'm like, I don't what, who do I hug? Is there anybody to pray for? What do I do? It just, for me, it feels so empty. But here in this room with crying babies and family members, And you and I praying in agreement for people we've just met today to say, you raise your kids right, I'm in your corner, let's do this thing together. That's what I love. And that is what the kingdom is about. It is not about how big the platform can be or how deep and wide the influence can seem. It's not about followers. It's not about numbers. It's not about ratings. Hear this. It's not even about budget or the size of the building. It is about the size of the hearts inside the building. We don't care as a church how big the church gets. We care as a church how big the church gets. If your faith grows, that's our win. If attendance grows, but you stay broken, one day I have to stand before the king. And he says, well, you did a good job entertaining them. But where are they? You see, you're called to the same journey too. 
You're called to lead people. And it's not the number of people, but it's the, it's the names. It's not the quality, or not the quantity, it's the quality. It's how, can, how deep can you go with the people around you? I might just say it like this. People are the mission. In the church, we don't use people to accomplish the mission. People are the mission. Amen? The world is full of results-driven teachings and, and leadership programs. You can buy any book on how to influence people and win friends, or whatever that title is. You can find any number of ways in which you can improve the bottom line and the results of the world and the sphere in which you work, okay? And the world will teach you that it's about being results-driven. You better achieve. You better make it. You better make it work. You better happen. This better grow. Lest you do anything that causes it to shrink, you'll be considered a failure. But kingdom results are different. When I started in ministry, I started in a mega church. I'm just waiting for the Lord to tell me how to say this. Come on now. <laughs> Give honor what honor is due, but do it right. I was taught that the more, the bigger, the more splendid, then that was proof that you were anointed. And I would hear people say, oh, no, if you just lead one person to Christ, that's enough. And I was taught that that phrase was foolishness. If you lead one, you spent your whole life leading one. That's what I was taught. And so I was consumed with growth and how big. I hired companies to help market me. Whoa, what? Market preachers? And then God broke my heart out of that environment like he has so many of us. Amen. There's nothing wrong with big churches. Good things grow, amen? But weeds grow also. Come on, somebody. Hey, all right. <laughs> now, I've come to the place in my life where I've understand that growing a church doesn't matter as much as growing the people. Kingdom results, results-driven leaders who search and serve the Lord according to his will do answer the call to lead but just one. That is so worth it. Because here's the deal. You don't know if it's just one. You might lead one who might be the one who leads millions. And if you jump over them because you're trying to lead hundreds, ah, then the Lord didn't work in your life. So Paul says, I'm going to send you Timothy because he's genuinely concerned for you. He cares about the mission of the kingdom, which is you. Verse 21, he says this. For... The others, they all, seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now we're doing this line by line, verse 20, 21, and 22, because I need you to see this, so very important. What he's saying about Timothy is this moment is he's not just genuinely concerned for the people he's called to serve, but Timothy is also marked by the fact that he seeks Jesus continually as well. He seeks Jesus always. And what Paul does to make this point hit home is he compares his spiritual son, Timothy, well, we'll talk about that relationship in a minute, to a group of leaders in the current time in which Paul is ministering. And I think it's important that we pay attention to the words here. Now, last two weeks or three weeks ago, we looked at chapter 1, verse 17, where Paul was talking about how he had begun to preach in the prisons and the gospel had overflowed from those prison doors and began to influence other believers with boldness to 
to preach. And in verse 17, he says, now there are some who preach good things and some who preach bad. He says, the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Paul says in that moment, he says, there's some people who preach this Jesus thing. They play church for their own gain. And so if you were to read this letter, if the church in Philippi in the first century was to hear this letter read aloud in their their hearing, they would have recognized that Paul was easily talking about those preachers and teachers he was just talking about, re-mentioning them. Timothy's not like them. But here's what I want you to also understand. Paul is, ooh, this is so good. I love the Bible. I'm such a nerd. Paul is writing from a Roman prison. And he is surrounded by Roman Christians, leaders in their own right, many of whom are in the New Testament with great accolades and mentions about their service, including one named Peter. But when Paul writes about Timothy, he says, Timothy loves Jesus, not like the rest of these guys. He is saying in this moment, clearly, hear me, You may meet a Christian leader. In fact, you'll meet over the course of your life many Christian leaders. But their name as a Christian and their position as a leader compare to nothing than the posture of their heart as a follower first. Paul says, I need you to compare Timothy to everybody else in this moment. What's the word he uses in verse 21? He says, for they all seek their own interests. Paul's trying to paint a clear picture to you and I in this moment. It is common today in the North American church for us in some form or fashion to deify our leaders. We teach honor, that's important. We teach respect, that's important. We teach service, that's important. But because we're humans in a fallen world, we oftentimes make mistakes to put our pastors and our leaders on pedestals, amen? And then when they fall, we just eat them up, don't we? We say we don't want to see our leaders fall, but when they they do fall, we read every one of those articles, and we shake our head, don't we? See, what do we say? We go, I knew it. (laughs) No, you didn't. Paul is saying in this moment, I need you to understand that God uses flawed people to lead, amen? And they're going to be flawed, and it is rare It is so rare to find a leader who truly does this for Jesus alone. And if you find that leader, God, I'm preaching right now. You got to stick with that leader. And I'm going to tell you this right now. I am not telling you to stick with me. I am telling you to stick with the one God said, that's your leader. Every preacher and pastor in your life, ready? We'll fail you in some sense. Every one of us. And if it hasn't happened to you yet, don't worry, it will. And if I haven't made you angry yet, don't worry. <laughs> I will. Because God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He, fu- he, he chooses the broken people to do great and mighty things. 
And so the reason that Paul is writing this very clearly is to say it is so rare that you find somebody who does this outside of their own interests, who seeks Jesus and Jesus alone. You've got to seek after those people. Use your discernment. Don't be foolish in choosing who you let preach the gospel to you. Test the spirits. Read your Bible. If they preach something out of context, leave the church. Leave the church. You say, Pastor, you might be shrinking the size of your congregation. I might be, but it would hold me more accountable, which would make me more effective, which would lead to your growth. So if I say something wrong, hold me down. You'll know it when somebody says, we give so that we get. Run. Amen. You'll know it when they start preaching to you about the ways in which you can use God to get what you want, to incorporate the will of the Lord so that you succeed. If the church is all about self-help, if the church is all about purpose, if the church is about what you can get from God, you got to run. Because Christianity is not about what I can get. I done already got it. Amen. Ready? If Jesus doesn't do another thing for you, he is good and done. Christianity is about what can I give to my God my whole life? Yes, whatever you want. He says, he says, Timothy, he loves Jesus. He loves the Lord. And I think it's important here to notice that Paul not only separates Timothy so we can see what bad leadership looks like, He separates Timothy so we can understand the correlation between submission to God's will and propulsion to God's will for your life. The two are not disconnected, ready? They're so intertwined, it's almost silly that we miss it. Ready? Submission to whatever the Lord says is the single greatest marker to get you to what he says. It's so simple. Whatever you tell me to do, great, serve. What do you want me to do? I want you to do the trash, great. And you're like, I don't want to do the trash. And God's like, oh, guess what? That's step one on a 37-step stairway to your destiny. But if you jump over that, you're just going to fall down the stairs every single time. These are instructions. When God says a hard thing to you, he says it because you ready? Need it. You need it. You need a hard thing in your life. You need to be pushed and provoked and convicted. You need to be challenged so you can be changed. Timothy put Jesus first. And so when Paul was thinking about the best way to serve the church he loved so dearly, he put Timothy first. If we put our trust in the Lord, it demonstrates to others that we can be trusted with the things of the Lord. You ever meet somebody who's got that kind of crazy good faith? You're like, dude, your life is falling apart. And they're like, it's cool. God's in control. (laughs) You ever met those people? Don't they kind of drive you a little bit nuts? You're like, no, seriously, you just got fired. And they're like, God, don't make a way. And you're like, you're a fool, man. What are you going to do? I don't know. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to pray about it and see what the Lord does. (laughs) You're like, but how are you going to pay your bills? Those are the same people that when your life falls apart, you come running to and you go, okay, what do I do? Trusting in the Lord makes you the kind of people that can be trusted with the things of the Lord. 
And I want you to trust in the Lord so you can be used, so you can be propelled. Paul goes on, verse 22, last verse. He says, you know Timothy's proven worth. Hmm. How as a son with a father, he served with me in the gospel. You need to understand that Timothy had a dad. He had a mother and a father that he loved, that he was connected, that he was close to. But in the gospel, he served closely, was trained, equipped, raised up, and sent out by Paul in such an intimate fashion that Paul began to call him his own. Paul did not have a son. Paul had no children of his own. But as he walked with this young man, they had developed more than just pastor-student relationship, more than just mentor-mentee. They had developed a relationship that was deeper, more intimate, more beautiful, more profound, and I would argue more effective. Paul oftentimes calls Timothy his son. Now, hear me, because many of us come from traditions where spiritual sons and daughters is a thing. Now, if you're, you, you come from a Presbyterian, a Catholic church, <laughs> let me explain how charismatic churches work. Sometimes we, in the charismatic tradition, the Pentecostal tradition, or even the Church of God in Christ, uh, develop relationships between those in power and those without that are beautiful and intimate, and, and it's father and son, or it's mother and daughter, and it doesn't supersede any natural relationship. It just indicates the depth and connectivity between these two people, and it also indicates, probably most importantly, a submission between the leader and the one who serves underneath the leader, but not only the leader. Yeah. Problem is, is that the, lo- the enemy always loves to attack anything that's, that's right. effective. And so spiritual sons and daughters in the church gets weird quick. And we see a lot of spiritual abuse in those relationships. We see a lot of you just do what I tell you no matter what. We see a lot of dangling of the future and of prospects to go and become. And if you'd only just keep doing this so that you would one day and it never comes to fruition. I want you to understand that if you've ever experienced one of those relationships and it went sideways or went left or if you, even if you didn't have father, son, spiritual son, daughter relationships, but you had a pastor and a mentor who did that sort of a thing to you, abused their power, overstepped their boundaries or just dangled carrots in front of you that one day you might and want you to understand that was wrong it was a sin and you need to forgive because the principle behind it of submission and of honor and of service those are important in the kingdom and God does use people in positions of power to get you into a position of submission so you can become a person in position of power amen so have you ever been church hurt You're not alone. It was on purpose as an attack for you. Don't let that attack kill you. And so Paul writes about Timothy as his son. And I want to talk about sons for just a second because there's three things that good sons do. And I'm going to pick on my sons because they're sons of a pastor and I can do whatever I want. Amen. Amen. Three things that good sons do that Paul is implying about Timothy in this passage. The first thing is this. True sons respect their fathers, both in private and in public. And it means that they do not allow the words of others to negate, supersede, 
or tear down the words, identity, or name of their father. I'm going to paint this picture for you of what a good son looks like so that you can ask yourself a big question about who you are in the end. I have two sons, 16 and 14. 16 on Wednesday, right? Sixteen and fourteen, and we've talked about our journey. I don't mind sharing with you. For for a long time, we were a blended family. Their mom and I got divorced when, when my oldest was four and the the baby was three and one, four and two, and so for the bulk of their life, they lived in two homes, and we worked hard to be cordial in the co-parenting journey. But if I have any co-parents in here, then you know that that is one of the biggest battles you've ever fought in your life. It's hard to co-parent. Amen. This is a topic in the church that's super taboo. Lots of churches don't talk about divorce or co-parenting or blended families because it indicates some brokenness, but we're a church built with broken people, so I don't mind talking about it, amen? And I'd hate for you to be in the predicament and there'd be other people in this church in the same predicament, but we hushed our mouth about it and pretended it didn't happen. So we're a blended family. We worked hard (laughs) to be cordial, and we are not good at it. (laughs) Sometimes I spoke out of turn about their mom. Sometimes they spoke out of turn about me. One thing that I noticed about my sons hmm, is that they never agreed to any negative words. They would come home and say, yeah, these things were said about you. We just stayed quiet. And I used to think they're just telling me that to be nice, right? just to be on my side until I would lose my temper, get frustrated one day because I'm human. Y'all good? You you don't mind this? And I would just be spouting off, your mom, and I would notice. You know what they did? Nothing. They didn't entertain it. They didn't share in it. They didn't enjoy it. They ignored it because true sons respect their parents. Now, it would be wrong of me to ask my kids to defend me, but it's not wrong of your father in heaven to ask you to defend his name. You see, the truth of the matter is, is that you live in a blended family, whether you know it or not. You have a father who loves you dearly, provides for you all the time. He's ever present, but you live at your mama's house, mother nature. (laughs) And you live in two worlds. And your mother, Mother Nature, says all sorts of bad things about your dad, doesn't he? She just, ugh, she just doesn't like your daddy. (laughs) She doesn't. You didn't think about this metaphor before. You never never thought about your angry Mother Nature just ragging on your dad. But this world does not love your father in heaven. And you're given a choice on whether or not you participate in that negative talk about the God that created you, loves you, ordained you, anointed you, and calls you to greater. Or if you stand for the truth. Or if you say, that, that is not who my father is. My God is great. My God is mighty. That's a mark of a true son or daughter of God is do you respect your father in public and in private? At church, you respect them, of course, but do you respect them at the coffee shop when someone's complaining about Christians? Do you respect them at work when they say something negative about church? Do, they, do you respect them all the time? Number two, true sons obey their fathers. Timothy's life is marked by complete submission to God's will through the apostle Paul who instructs him. And a true son 
is one who obeys his father no matter what his father says. Now, I want to tell you, we're going to talk about submission for just a second here, and I want you to understand that I know that submission feels like a four-letter word. Doesn't it sound bad when I say, well, let me just put it like this. This is how you know it really feels bad. When I tell you, you need to submit, (laughs) most of us are like, ugh. But that is the call as Christians to submit. And the mark of a true son is if they submit. Now, submission is not agreement. Because if your parents ask you to do something and you like it and you do it, that's not submission. Submission is at the point of disagreement. Submission is when someone asks you to do something and you think that's just the dumbest idea you've ever heard, and so you do it. That's what 90% of marriage is, amen? Is when, when a husband asks his wife, would you do 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 bird? And he gives her instructions and she knows that's foolish. And she goes, yes, honey, I'll do it just like that. That's true submission. I love to wear tennis shoes when I preach. It's kind of my thing. I don't buy expensive ones, but I like tennis shoes. I also brought boots today and I wore my tennis shoes and my beautiful wife said, baby, it's baby dedication today. It's a fancy affair. Put your boots on. And I went, no, but I'm wearing boots right now. Because I am submitted. And I obey. And true sons of God obey at all time. I tell my sons, go do the trash. I do not want to hear any huffing and puffing. Amen? I want the trash done. That's the same way your father in heaven thinks about his instructions for you. He loves you. He'll give you a few minutes. But he said what he said. Number three, true sons, they respect their fathers at all time. True sons obey their fathers at all time. And number three, true sons honor their fathers at all time. Now, honor and respect are two different concepts here. Respect is what we do to uphold their name. Honor is what we do to extend their name. You see, honor is about taking the identity of the one who leads us and in extending it, taking the characteristics, taking the markers, taking the mission and the vision and making it go further than one person could. When we talk about honor in the church, we we often think about gifts. I was raised that whenever you meet with a spiritual leader or a pastor, you're always supposed to bring them a gift. Now that I think about it, my pastor is the one that taught me that. And so I brought gifts. I should be saying that more often, shouldn't I? I was always taught that honor meant gifts, but honor is not about giving gifts. It's about using your gifts in submission to the relationship that you're in. My sons, they honor me. And it's not because they play football. I love football. But that's not what honors me. My sons honor me because they carry part of me with them wherever they go. My sons serve in this church now. They're on the prayer team. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they can pray, you guys. They can pray. Which is funny because when we pray at home, I'm like, do you guys, come on now. And then they pray at church and it's like heaven falls. 
And I've noticed that over the last several years, the, the church has gotten to know my sons so well. Our sons have become just engrafted into this community. They have their own identity. They're not just Pastor C.B. and Chanel's sons. They are Kalel and Canaan. And, and the hallmark of who they are, one of the things that our deacons have shared about them is they're so kind. And that honors me. If, if the people in our church said, you know, your sons are so strong, <laughs> I would have missed the mark. Because honor is about taking what matters most from the leader in our life and extending it out so it has great depth and breadth. And so when Paul writes about Timothy, he says, he's a son. And you know how much he's worth as a son because he served with me, ready, in the gospel. What matters most to the Apostle Paul is the extension and furtherance, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he says, you know how much Timothy's worth. He's not saying you know about his financial status, you know about his family legacy, you know about where he's from, you don't know about his clothes. What he's saying is he cares about the gospel like me, and there's none who honor me or Jesus like that. True sons and true daughters, respect, obey, and honor. And so the question today for you is this. Are you a true son or daughter of the king? Is that who you are? When your father in heaven thinks about you, does he say public or private, they always respect my identity and name? When he thinks about you, does he say public or private, they always give honor to me doing what I care about most, when he thinks about you, public or private, he says, no matter what, they obey immediately. That's what a true son or daughter really is. And it's a hard push today, but the reason we study this relationship between Paul and Timothy is not so we can understand how these two ministers of the gospel worked well together, but so we can use the model about how they worked together to explain to us how we are to work together with Jesus on the mission of the gospel in our life. So when Jesus talks to his people who are praying for revival all over the world, when Jesus answers the prayers of those who are wanting someone to help, when they need Bibles and evangelists and prayers and friends, when he's talking to your neighbor who's desperate in a season and says, Lord, help me, I need help, I'm lost, I'm scared, I'm going to die in my mess. When he's helping people, does he say, I'm sending you? Because Paul says, I want to be there. But I can't, so I send Timothy instead. And Jesus says, I want to be there, but it's not my time, so I send. Does he send you? When he thinks about you, does he say, I have no one who has such genuine concern for my people like you? When he talks about you, does he say, all the others do these things out of selfish interest, but not you? When he talks about you, does he say he serves, she serves exactly how I might serve my people. That's the hallmark of a son or daughter. And the invitation is to be that and no less, no less. My sons are my sons. And I will take them with me wherever I go. And I will never leave them nor forsake them. And if they fall, I pick them up because they're true sons. And Jesus 
wants to say the same thing about you. But some of us just play church. We want all the benefits of the inheritance as a son, but we don't respect, we don't obey, and we don't honor. And so today, the title of our message is When It's Your Time, and today, it's your time. You thought this message was going to be about your time to shine. It is. Today is the day you can say yes to Jesus in a real and meaningful way like you've never said yes to Jesus. Not about repeating some words or showing up. It's about saying, I am yours completely. So do me a favor. All over the room, every head is bowed and every eye is closed. If today is that day. You said, Pastor, if I'm being totally honest with you, I've just been faking this thing. I mean, I just play church. I don't really know what's happening. But I want to be a son. I want to be a daughter. I want to have a home with my father in heaven. That's you. No one's looking around. Just me. I want to see. I want to celebrate with you, and then we're going to pray as a church for you. That's you today. You said, CB, I want to, I want to be a son. I want to be a daughter. I want to be used. I want to be his and his alone. Would you do me a favor just all over the room? If that's you, would you look up at me today? Make kind contact. I see you. 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 I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you, and you, and you, and you. And today is our day. Today is our time. Our time to shine. Our time to, to come home and to be called sons and daughters. Church, would you pray these words with me, whether it was your time or not, would you support those who said yes to Jesus today? Father God, Father God, I'm a sinner, and I need Jesus. Today, I confess my sin. I give you my shame. I believe that Jesus died on a cross, and he took that sin, and he took that shame, and he gave me life. And so I'm giving it back. Father, I am a son. Father, I am a daughter. I belong to you. Use me all the days of my life. Amen and amen. Let's stand up and worship all over the building.